Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast designed for education and information around our four-legged friends. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein, a dog trainer located in Little Rock, Arkansas. I started this podcast to share viewpoints from other experts and folks in the dog world because I wanted to help dog owners make educated decisions on what's best for them and their pets. This week is finalizing a three-part series on embarrassment. And this week is Don Heiderscheidt of Odin underscore pup on Instagram, who has Odin. Hi, Don. How are you? Hey, Liz. I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Where are you from? Are you from Philadelphia? Um, yeah, outside of Philadelphia originally, so Kennett Square area. And then um, I've lived in Philly for the last 14 years. You call him Harry Mom on Instagram, but what's your husband's human name? Yeah, his name is Mark. <laughs> How long have you and Mark been together? Oh, gosh, uh, about as long as I've been in Philly, actually. I met him probably about four weeks after I moved in, so 13 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, a long time. Sounds, sounds serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't get married or something, so it kind of works well, out. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit, because I, I think what you do as your, I guess it's your full-time job, is, is also very interesting. If you want to share that, we don't have to, but I feel like it feeds into what you do as a, tr a dog trainer as well. Absolutely. I am an occupational therapist. Uh, before that, I was actually a teacher here in Philadelphia. So I was actually an art teacher for three years, switched and went back to school to be an occupational therapist. And I've been an OT for six years. So basically what I do as an OT is I work with people um, I use a therapeutic use of everyday activities to kind of help people navigate their world as independently as possible. So generally it's after people have injuries or cognitive deficits, and that kind of helps me um, meet them where they are, which sounds familiar to dog training, mm -hmm. and um, kind of help them obstacles and do it as independently and as individually as you can for that client. Their goals are different than my goals, which are different than their parents' goals, which is different than their siblings' goals. So kind of trying to blend everyone's goals together into a comprehensive plan that gets somebody back to living their life. You have a couple of businesses that you're running as an OT, right? What, do you, what else are you doing? Ew. Well, thanks for the plug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm actually opening an outpatient uh, mobile practice. So I actually go and do outpatient therapy in a person's home. And that's with something called Aurora Independence. So that's my company. And then I am also going to be opening a home health agency where I work with individuals with autism, um, helping them live in the community as adults as closely as they can. And that is Aurora Living Solutions. My hope is to eventually have some dogs come to my clients who have autism or you know, who are learning to walk again, things like that. Because ultimately, I want to make sure that people can keep their pets, even though they have a medical situation. Well, you've been with Mark for 13 years. You've been, you know, in Philadelphia for a long time. So when were you starting to think that you wanted to get a dog? What, um, what was happening there? Yeah, so we always kind of knew we wanted dogs. So Mark always grew up with dogs, but he never really did the actual dog training or interaction. Um, I've always had pets. I've worked with horses, dogs, cats, hamsters, you name it. I probably was near it at some point in my life. So we both kind of knew that dogs were always going to be in our life. Um, we kind of knew though we couldn't get one until we had a house. So we have had this house for five years. We've had Odin for four and a half. So we mm -hmm. pretty much got Odin. 
right when we bought the house because we knew we were ready for it. It had been a while and we were ready. We had two cats and they just weren't fulfilling our needs. And um, for us, children are not in our in our wheelhouse. It's not in our goal, our life plan. So dogs were always kind of going to be our, I don't, I don't even know what word I'm looking for there. They were just always going to be in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Part of the life plan. Yeah. yeah. Life plan. That's the way to word it. We bought the house in February and by the end of February, we were like, you know what? It's been four weeks. Let's get a dog. Let's start looking. We were trying to be super responsible about it because we had a trip to India planned and I knew I didn't want the dog before. But we saw a senior dog. His name was Magnus. We figured that was going to be perfect because, again, our different experiences of my experience with animals and Mark's experience with animals was very different. So we thought an older dog may actually be a good uh, warming up situation. So you can kind of, you sort of get behaviors that are a little bit more set in stone. You don't have to deal as much with potty training and you can kind of work into it. Um, When we reached out to the rescue, Magnus was in foster. So we figured they could hold on to him for a little bit. He has already adopted out. So we took a break. We said, okay, let's just, you know, keep our hearts open, but we're going to pause for now. And that's when the rescue reached out to us about Odin. (laughs) Said that they had this dog that was going to be a perfect fit for us. And he was great. And here's a video. And they send us a video. It was great. He's playing with another dog. Seems like he's getting along. And I asked them, I said, this is fantastic. We would love to pay whatever adoption fees we can, but could you hold on to him for two, two and a half weeks? They said no, because they were from, they were a rescue that worked with a local shelter. So they were not the actual shelter. They had no available fosters. And they warned us that that particular shelter down in Atlanta had a lot of dogs that were used as bait dogs, adopted, brought back, found on streets, that kind of stuff. And they suspected that Odin may have been one of them or was going to be one of those bait dogs. Being the naive dog owner who like clearly had dogs, I was like, we can totally handle this. (laughs) So that's when we kind of scrambled. We looked for some friends and asked whoever we could, would you guys be willing to watch this dog for us? Because if not, I'm a little worried about it. They totally guilted us into it. Any any dog owners listening, don't do it. I mean, you want to save the dogs. You want to rescue them. But if you're feeling like a rescue is pushing for you to take a dog and you're not ready, don't do it. And that's unfortunate too, because a lot, I think that it's not an uncommon story. They're trying to save two lives. If they can get one dog out, then they can rescue another dog from the streets. And I totally understand that. Maybe this is a future podcast for you, but rescue strong arm you. You kind of have to know what you want and what kind of dog you're getting. And you really have to be smart about it because we got handled a handful. And I would say that there's probably a lot of reactive dog owners that feel like they have the wrong dog. And And I would say that they probably don't. They just haven't figured out the language yet. But at the same time, I've been there. I felt the same way. I mean, we were worried that if we couldn't figure it out, we were going to have to find Odin a new home because we weren't the right home for him. Odin just never shut off. Nonstop energy. And I am talking, we would wake up at 5 a.m. I would play some soccer with him in our little backyard, kick a ball around, let him chase it, let him rip it apart. We went through hundreds of soccer balls. Mark would then wake up, take care of him for an hour and a half. I would go to work. Mark would come home at lunch to actually walk him. I would get home around 3.30. I would play with him from 3.30 to 5 when Mark got off work. And then we were playing with this dog from 5 to 10 o'clock. Training, playing, running, jumping, skipping, you name it, we were doing it. We were like, why is he not, like, why does he not stop moving? And he's an adult dog. This is not a puppy that you brought home. It was about 10 months. We went from wanting a six to eight-year-old dog, thinking we were getting a three-year-old dog, because that's what the rescue told us 
to going to take him to the vet and the vet going, oh, I think I see some puppy teeth. He must be like 10 to 12. And I was like, what? One thing I knew was that I did not want a puppy and I Mm -hmm. definitely didn't want a puppy in their adolescent years because I wanted to at least think they were cute first. Yes. um, I've definitely had some clients recently that are like, if this doesn't change, I need to give this dog away because the puppy months are rough. They're very, very rough. Dinosaurs. They're yeah. cute, fuzzy dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Even though puppies have a lot of energy and they're, they're dinosaurs and, and all that, they still need to sleep a lot. They still tend to shut off, you know, once they get what they need. It's not typical for a dog to never shut down. It took us longer than I'd like to admit to realize that a lot of Odin's issues were reactivity and fear, but also anxiety. Um, once we started him on fluoxetine, we could finally see that his poor little brain could shut off and he could actually take naps. We used to force him to take naps. We would put him in a room and we'd be like, all right, destroy the room if you need to, but like, we're done. Like you need to be put away. Don't bother us. Like you're quiet. So he, even to this day, actually, he sleeps in our basement. Um, cause he's so used to it. And it's what we had to do for the first two years of his life because I needed to sleep and my cats needed to not be chased. And So Odin stays in our basement and we had a room for him in that beginning stage where he ate the drywall. He did all of it, you know, but we would force him to try and take rest times and he would. He was always a dog that could settle when we were gone, but if we were there, he was on. And even now that he's like five, he still is sort of like that, especially with me. With Harry, mom, he'll sleep, but with me, he's like, mom's home, let's do stuff. As a trainer, I also think I've sort of trained that because I always make him do stuff with me. So that's partially my fault. So I'm, I'm slightly trained in ABA, which is applied behavioral analysis in regards to like autism and intellectual disabilities and sensory processing disorders and all of that with my OT. And I started looking at Odin with my OTIs and I was like, you have a sensory need right now. At the time, I didn't quite realize that it was like enrichment and long leads and decompression walks and all these like key phrases that, you know, the dog training world uses. But at one point I looked at it and I was like, what is your sensory need? Why are you seeking so much input? Because he needed input. He needed touching. He needed pulling. He needed tugging. He needed chewing. I mean, you name it. This dog was like, I don't know what I need. And that's kind of what helped me figure out that and change my mindset of this dog needs something I can provide it. Let me figure out how to do that properly. And that's kind of how we started working forward with Odin. If I didn't have the network of the network that I currently have that I didn't quite realize I had before I got Odin, uh, we couldn't have kept Odin. The first trainer we called, because at the time I was not yet training dogs, Odin had latched onto Mark's arm and was tugging and we thought it was aggression. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, we have to go put this dog down because he just bit my husband. I mean, turns out he just had literally no idea what to do with his mouth and he was so overstimulated and he's a reactive dog and he was just like, oh, we're playing tug now? Let's play tug really hard. <laughs> um, but again, yeah. yeah, he's like, oh, sweatshirt, this is safe, tug and yank. Um, my husband's not a small person. He's like, you know, 180 pounds and we were doing CrossFit at the time. So we were both fit individuals. Uh, and that dog, was he was powerful. I mean, I say that dog because it doesn't even feel like Odin. It feels like it was a totally different animal that we had welcomed into our home. Him and Odin didn't bond until maybe about a year into us having him because mm-hmm. I think Odin had a little fear of men. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark was afraid of him, actually, mm-hmm. because of that initial like tug interaction. You know, he was sort of didn't want to be in the room alone with the dog. So it was all me. You know, I was working uh... full time and I was in charge of this dog and trying to help him figure out 
because he's not trained in this. He's a software developer. Here earlier than that, um, my husband actually got bit by a dog and was a German uh, Shepherd. And it was a dog that I knew and I was, you know, friendly with, but uh, we entered the house and the dog wasn't anticipating my husband being with him. So he just got a little puncture wound in his butt. But <laughs> yeah, he oh. had these interactions that he was like, I don't like this. We had some hard discussions. I mean, we reached out to Philly Unleashed. Harry mom slash Mark is actually friends with one of the old trainers who used to work at Philly Unleashed. And she, she fielded a lot of phone calls from us at 10, 11 o'clock at night in tears because we just didn't know what to do. And I wasn't a trainer yet. I had no idea. I was reading all the books, reading all the articles. Um, it was really, it was intense, <laughs> very intense year. I knew that positive reinforcement was kind of all the rage in dog training. I didn't realize what the other options were. And so I knew that I wanted to only read that, which was helpful because it did help me kind of narrow it down a little bit. But even within positive reinforced, I think you have some conflicting information. You know, is it okay to use a slip lead every so often as like a final result? Or is it, you know, are you really doing positive reinforcement when you're withholding treats to keep a dog from, you know, pulling or, or eating something? You know, there's all this debate and nuances. Yeah. Yeah. Um, technicality. Oh my God. Yeah. It's nonstop. And, and I truly believe, and I think you agree, you know, what works for, for me might not work for you. And that there's, I call it a a reactive dog diet in a way, every dog is going to have something that's a little different that you can, you can do something that might terrify another dog with one dog, but you could do it with another one. What we are as creatures are, are, we are sensory beings. We, we experience things through taste, smell, sight, all of that. And when I realized that Odin reminded me a lot of a child that needed a sensory diet so that they need deep proprioceptive input. So they need to be squeezed. They need to be rolled. Some kids like to flip. This is the kids that like want to jump off things all the time. Usually that is an indication that something in their sensory system is, is seeking something or they're trying to avoid something. And when I really put on that OT brain, I looked at Odin, I was like, man, he is such a sensory seeker. And so we started getting to a point where I'd be like, oh, he wants to chew. I can tell that his mouth needs to like gnaw on something. So then we'd pull out the antler and he could chew on that. And we started doing um, enrichment bones because I knew that he needed to chew and then there were moments where I could tell like, oh, you're, you're, your mouth doesn't want to chew. You want to run. So we started getting to a point where we realized you had to take Odin out two to three times a day and he needed full out sprints. So we would go to a soccer field. Harry mom would be on one end. I'd be on the other. And we would just ping pong recall back and forth for a half hour, bring some water. And I mean, he would 30 minutes just run back and forth. Then he'd come home and, you know, then he would need to roll and he wanted to be pet. So then we would do a a massage. And I just realized that certain behaviors meant he was searching for a certain type of sensory input. And so I was like, oh, well, you just, you remind me of a kid on the autism spectrum that you're either looking for something or avoiding something. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I just started using that and applied behavioral analysis to kind of figure out like, okay, what's the context? What are you looking for? And what consequence are you getting from it? The good, bad, and how can I how can I control that? This is something Nikolsky and the owner Julian Lee says all the time. Behavior is behavior. Once we understand, you know, what's going on, then we can adjust and reinforce or eliminate. Yeah. I mean, if someone's presenting a behavior, it's because they're looking for something or they're trying to avoid something. And so you just have to figure that out. I mean, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to have that type of dog and to feel like when you're on a walk, you have to be on. 
there's no, there's no checking your phone. There's no relaxation. There's no like, oh, let me just take this phone call and go for a walk. You're kind of like, nope, I have to be hypervigilant because my dog is hypervigilant. And so I have to meet them where they are. When you think of reactive or how do you describe reactive to someone else? And, and why do you use that term for Odin? I liked having the name reactive for Odin because it finally made sense. Because for me, reactive just means that they overreact to something, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, their reaction is just like too much or a little over threshold, if you want to call it that. So, I mean, when Odin loves something, he will knock it over and lick it to pieces because he loves it. And I'm like, whew, okay. So we tend to think reactive is just bad, but in my mind, reactive is just you're overreacting to something. So it's that friend that like just loves everything and you're like, yo, chill. <laughs> um, and it's, it's my dog who's like, I love dogs. I hate German shepherds, you know? And it's like, whoa, where's, like, where's the regulation? There is none. So for me, a reactive dog just like doesn't have the ability to regulate themselves. And when they're left to make their own decisions, they're probably going to make a bad one. And I'm okay with that. So that's why we started using reactive and I recognize it as him. Wasn't until later that I realized like, oh, a lot of people do associate reactive with aggressive. So I'm kind of from a different world where I didn't quite think about that. I just felt so good that I finally had an answer. So you started chronicling your journey with Odin on Instagram at Odin underscore pup. When did you start the Instagram account and why did you start it? You know what? It's funny. We actually started it, I think, when we first got him, maybe about a couple months in. Didn't touch it for years. And then I want to say once I started dog training, I kind of picked it back up then. So there's a whole portion of Odin's life that first few years that is missing. How did you find the reactive dog community? And was that something you were aware even existed? You know what? If I'm being perfectly honest, I actually don't remember how I got too into it. I want to say that I saw a random like hashtag and went down the loophole. And then suddenly I was like, whoa, here's all these other dogs going through this. This is fantastic. Like maybe I'll start sharing my story too. That was around the time that I was starting to get involved in dog training. And then I realized that I was starting to recommend some accounts to my clients and I still do it where I'm like, oh, hey, this dog reminds me of this other person that I follow. Like you guys should go follow each other because your dogs are so similar. So go realize that you're not alone and here's all this. So I think I kind of fell into it and now I like love referring people out. I'm like, go connect with this account and go connect with that account. It's an active community to kind of go out and learn and see all these other people from across the world. I follow a couple of dogs and like, England and Australia. And it's, it's, it's nice to see that other people also have the same problems. So from the owner side and from the trainer side, you're not alone because it's really isolating. You feel alone. You feel like no one else is experiencing this because all the other dogs in the neighborhood are happy, go lucky and, you know, loose body. Mine's like, oh, people just want a nice dog. Yeah. And that's okay. It is. It is. And I guess that goes back to feeling like embarrassed. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's embarrassing to go out with my dog sometimes where he'll be walking super sweet and someone will be like, oh, this dog coming up, they're so adorable. I'm like, okay, it's not the other dog's problem. It's my problem right now. And yes. then next thing I know, my dog's lunging at this like 12 year old arthritic, non-threatening dog walking down the street. And my dog's like, wants to rip its face off. And I'm like, why? Like, mm -hmm. That's when I don't admit I'm a dog trainer. Yeah. Like, oh, what's happened? <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Weird. He's never done that before. So how did you work through that embarrassment? For me, a lot of it is framing it inside of my own head. 
um, I had to get over caring what other people thought. I have been yelled at by people that tell me I have an aggressive dog. I've been kicked out of dog parks before when I didn't quite realize at the time that Odin wasn't dog park material, but he goes to doggy daycare. He has his friends. He does great. I just kind of realized that this is our journey together for me and Odin. This is our language. This is what works for us. And I kind of don't care what other people think. I don't care if other people think I'm being ridiculous when I relate it to children because I've gotten some pushback on that in the past, but I'm like, you know what? It just helps my brain process what's happening with this animal that's in my life that I'm never getting rid of, that I want to be successful and I want to enjoy. Um, so for me, it was a lot of mental framing personally, finding the positives, focusing on the joy, focusing on the good things. And also just, I think, learning more about positive reinforcement. How would you define positive reinforcement? So I would say it's, it's adding something that will encourage a behavior to happen more often. And I don't think we get to decide what's reinforcing. <laughs> I think our dogs do. And that's the hard part is what's reinforcing. So you can try to shove a treat inside of a dog's face because they liked treats the last time. And then that can actually become negative because you've now added something that they don't really want and you're forcing them to take it because you want them to do a certain behavior. But if you had just done something different, that would be suddenly reinforcing. So. I think it's super confusing because you want to add something good, but what's the good? Because I don't think food is always good. I think yeah. food can be distracting, which is what we found with Odin. I think or later you want to talk a little bit more about what we've used to help, but okay. I'll bring it in now. We can kind of okay. talk a little. Agility, huge positive interaction with Odin. Loved it. Worked great. Food was super negative during agility because he couldn't focus it almost became such a distraction that it was no longer reinforcing. So in positive reinforcement, you kind of have to figure out what's the good thing you're adding to encourage that behavior to happen. Absolutely. I have a dog, I actually saw her today on a training walk where she will not take food from me unless mm -hmm. it's a very specific situation. But when we're on a walk, she won't, but praise works for her. So I'm able to redirect her away from reacting at other dogs because the praise is enough. And that's not every dog. And the timing is so important. Is there advice that you give to your clients now? If you, if you see that they're getting embarrassed or they're overwhelmed, how do you help other people walk through that? Yeah. I mean, for me, I try really hard to just give encouragement. I tend to tell stories about Odin because I feel like sometimes I want people to recognize like, hey, my dog does it too. And I'm a trainer. Like, don't worry about it. Maybe you'll agree. I feel like a lot of people are like, you must have a perfect dog because you're a trainer. And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> Actually, I'm a trainer because my dog is a disaster and I love him, but he is a disaster. We are going to make mistakes yes. and we're probably going to mess our dogs up a little bit. Yes. We just hope that we figure it out and we can correct it. <laughs> yes. And that's what I really want to normalize with this series too. And especially talking with a dog trainer and being a dog trainer myself, like I want to humanize dog trainers who might not know what's best for this dog. That it really, at the end of the day, the final decision is with the owner and they have to Correct. make the decision. And their language. I think that's one thing that's a hard part for us as dog trainers to figure out is because the owner and their dog have a unique language and yeah. we're we're a third party coming in to try and help them communicate better. I mean, we're almost therapists in a way. Yeah, oh we yeah. We couples get into huge fights in the middle of our class and we're like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> Odin highlighted all the parts that me and Mark were not communicating well for a long time because we were that couple that would be in a quiet in a class quietly whispering to each other, you're supposed to do it this way. Stop telling me what to do. You know, we're like, don't make a big scene of it, but also the dog's not doing it. I'm just thinking of it now, but I almost wonder if it's, if it's worth thinking about an owner and their dog as having a, a fight. And that's almost a portion where reactivity can come from because they're not communicating clearly. 
And once you can figure out that communication style, I think that you, that's when you make the progress. And for people, obviously our positive is like, and positive reinforcement is the way to kind of figure out what that conflict is. But I do think that sometimes there's a little bit of a conflict between the person, the dog, and then as the trainer, we can either help it or we can make it way worse. Yes. Especially if we're not giving, we're not honoring that space. Right. So one thing I try really hard to do is going into any lesson is, well, you know, what's going on? How are you feeling? Like what's going right? What does your dog know? What are your goals? Not only do you need to help them build up a relationship with their dog, but you need to build up a relationship with them and their dog too. So it's this interspecies moment. Well, yeah, because a lot of people hire a dog trainer because they want you to fix their dog. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we go in and we're like, well, actually, we need to fix you, mm-hmm. but I need to use the dog to help you. Or it's the other way around. You know what I mean? Where yeah. they're like, teach me how to do it. And it's like, well, actually, there's something wrong with your dog. So let's, let's focus on it, you know, and, and trying to figure out that dynamic. So I'm with you on that. How did you make that step from being a client to starting to become a trainer yourself? I think what ended up helping me was one, I took a lot of different classes. <laughs> Pretty much everything Philly Unleashed I offered, I think I actually did. I had also started with another trainer before getting started with Philly Unleashed. And I realized that I had kind of a knack for it. As an occupational therapist, one of my goals was animal-assisted therapy into my my clients, you know, into my world as a therapist. Um, I wanted Odin to be a therapy dog. I realized very quickly he was not going to be a therapy dog. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, so how do I, how do I learn about dogs when I don't have a dog that I can use to teach me on how to do therapy assisted, you know, animal assisted therapy. And it turned out that there just happened to be a, an assistant position open up with Philly Unleashed and Dana reached out to me and she said, Hey, do you want this? Like, this is kind of an interest for you. And, And I was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, thinking at the time, this is just how I'll figure out how to get a therapy dog to kind of help my OT practice. This is, you know, whatever, this isn't really going to help Odin. Like I, I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking a little more OT very quickly though. I got in there and I was like, Oh, this is, this is actually fantastic. Like, I don't know that I need this for my OT practice. I think I just like doing this. So I assisted Alicia for about a year, year and a half. I, I learned from all the, the trainers there and there are so many better trainers than I am. I'm still learning. But once COVID hit and all that kind of happened, I sort of started overtaking my own classes. So me and Alicia were kind of covering for each other and doing this and that. And now I teach level ones and level twos every Thursday and That's taking awesome. private clients and things like that. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Slowly growing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that is exciting. Cause like, once you get the dog training bug, man, it just, you can't get away from it. It was kind of nice to work with dogs that weren't Odin. Um, and I love my dog. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be with us forever. I, you know, I'm not sure that I want another dog like him right away. And to have other dogs that I could work with that didn't have the same behavioral problems or were just puppies or, you know, the biggest problem was that somebody just wanted them to stop leash pulling. And I was like, got it. No problem. It renewed my faith in dogs. There was a hot minute where I was like, I'm never getting another dog after this no. one dies. I'm done. Cause I was exhausted. I mean, Odin is a lot of dog. So you got this assistant dog training position and then um, you didn't quite quit your job, but you quit full time, right? Correct. So I got the, I started doing dog training when I was still full-time about six months in, I quit my full-time hospital job, became per diem. So I was still working pretty regularly. And then I was doing, um, assisting classes with my friend Alicia 
who does like therapy dog classes, shy dog classes, and she was doing a level one, level two. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then COVID hit and we were doing some online classes, just kind of like let people sign in. We weren't charging for it. It was just these free virtual classes because we felt so bad our clients weren't having access to the training they needed. And we had a lot of people getting pandemic puppies uh-huh. and people were like, how do we do this? You know, we're social distancing, but how do I start my dog? So um, after COVID, I ended up taking over the level one, level two classes. And then Alicia's still doing her workshop. Uh, Don, I wanted to ask you, what are some training tools that you use? I know we talked a little bit about the, the two hounds design freedom, no pull harness. Is that? Yeah, I probably should have used like a gentle leader. I actually use head halties or gentle leaders with a lot of my clients because I do find that those help with the dogs. Odin, we never used one. We've kind of always used just a harness. When he first came to us, it was a flat collar, those big, fat, thick ones around his neck didn't respond to it at all, yanked me down the street. The second I put a harness on, automatically different dog. Still pulling, but way less intensity because I think he was reacting. So I tend to like the no, um, the freedom, uh, freedom harness. Head halties, easy walks. I tend to avoid the easy walks only because I have found that some dogs where it rests over their shoulders, it can actually cause orthopedic issues, especially for your pullers. Okay. Um, and actually had that and our vet was the one who suggested it. So I've been kind of moving away from those and muzzles. I, a lot of people really hate muzzles, but I, I'm still working on it with Odin. I mean, we just got a new one, so we have to start from the beginning. But I think muzzles are fantastic, especially for like vets. Do you find with your clients, a lot of people are reluctant to think about muzzles or use muzzles? Was that something you were reluctant to look at or use? How did you navigate that? I, I guess muzzles for me originally brought up that embarrassment because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to like protect people from my dog. Like that's so embarrassing. People are going to think he's evil and like, he's not, he's got his particularities, but he's not an evil dog. So yeah, I struggled with it at first and I, my muzzle game is actually probably pretty weak. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is a little bit of this whole judgment thing. Like I still really want this dog that's like loves people and can just go with the flow and I'm still working on it. I do not have that dog. Um, for clients, a lot of people are shocked when I tell them like, hey, you should muzzle train your dog. And they're like, why? My dog's so sweet. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But you know, if you're going to take them to the woods and they like to eat poop, muzzle is a way to have them not eat poop. And then you don't need to worry about them quite as much. And people don't always think about it in that sense, that it's also safety for the dog. They can still pant, drink, and even eat with the muzzle on. It just takes the teeth and the mouth out of the equation, Correct. Yeah. For reactive dog owners, I think it takes a little pressure off of it because it's like, okay, say my dog does break the leash and does get away. At least I know if the muzzle's on, they can't get one or in our case, kill a groundhog because Odin likes groundhogs. Odin pulls a lot. And when he runs for something, I get worried that he's going to actually like break a rib because sometimes I can't let the leash go. Like it's just not safe. He's going to run into the highway. Um, so we got this other harness, the, the rough wear one that actually covers his whole body. It goes around his chest, under his rib cage and kind of up to the middle of his belly in a way. Um, cause I feel like it just disperses the pressure for when he takes off and I can't let him go. I think that enrichment is additional management that people don't always think about. So letting the dog sniff, run, smell, chew, whatever. Cause that's definitely one of the other things that we use to manage Odin's behaviors a lot. 
enrichment is something that kind of plays into the dog's natural behaviors anyway. So dogs like to sniff, you know, maybe people know, maybe they don't, that dogs have like what, 6 million is that olfactory nerves. So they can, they can breathe in and out at the same time. I mean, dogs' noses are amazing. Trying to create an activity that allows them to use their nose because it's naturally something that is very powerful. Or some dogs just like love to run. So being able to find a way that allows them to get those natural primal behaviors out in a productive way. I feel like that's my overarching definition of enrichment. I mean, have you ever seen a dog chewing a bone or just like licking something and they look high because they're, they're meditating, you know, they're just chilling out. They're cool. They're like, this is so relaxing. And then those types of dogs tend to just like go to sleep after. Perfect. All of your needs were met. Agility because he needs to move his muscles. He's just a dog that likes to run and do stuff like that. So agility really helped with my communication body because that was one thing Harry mom did right off the bat perfectly. I am not coordinated. (laughs) So uh, agility helped us kind of communicate better so that I realized how much my body was communicating information to Odin without me realizing it and not always good communication. So agility really helped with that and capturing. Capturing is kind of um, marking and rewarding a behavior that the dog kind of just does naturally. So for example, with loose leash walking, I'm a huge fan of capturing that attention. So anytime the dog looks at you, they get a treat. Anytime they were sniffing something else and they're like, hey mom, did you see that? They get a treat. They're next to you. They maybe aren't even looking at you, but they're choosing to walk next to you. They get a treat because food is super reinforcing for most dogs. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of capturing. We use it a lot because Odin likes to chase our cats. He does not want to hurt them, but he's 80 pounds and they're 10. So Mm -hmm. it can happen. Um, So I use capturing a lot when he like looks at the cat and doesn't go for the cat. So now he, he starts to associate that idea that, oh, a cat's in the room, I get treats. Every good thing that Odin does that we like, he gets a treat for it. And now he basically offers those behaviors all the time because he knows he gets rewarded. It's been about four and a half years now since you brought Odin home. And you mentioned that dog you met four and a half years ago is a different dog from now. What's changed about Odin? Yeah, he's much calmer. I actually think medications helped him a lot. I think part of the reason he was so over the top was that his brain just could not shut off. So we've noticed in the last year and a half since he started Doggy Prozac, the biggest difference where he can actually settle. So for a good three, three and a half years, he was settling, but his brain wasn't. His eyes were still going. His little eyebrows were so expressive. You could tell that he was like, I'm going to stay because you told me to stay and I have to stay. But now if I go, go to bed, he's like, oh, okay, I'll go to bed. Oh, okay, you know, I'm going to go to sleep now too. See ya. Bye. And he passes out. So for us, there's a lot more calm because we did all the training and medication was the last thing. For some reactive dog owners, I would recommend medication a whole lot sooner. I think we would have had a balanced household much quicker if I had realized that medication was something Oda needed. And um, I'm still learning about it, but pray drive. I mean, Mm. I was thinking like, oh, if I put a cue to it, Odin will only chase when I tell him. And now I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't, I just don't think we can chase. Like, I think we have to chase these things, but we do not chase those things. And so he needed a hard line um, because I was trying too hard. Yeah. And you actually got injured a few times with that too, right? Oh, a few times. Yeah. I have like a chronic ankle instability. I thought I was going to need surgery on my hand because he pulled me. Took like six to eight weeks to heal. At this point, Harry mom is the one walking him, not me. I'll do the training and I'll click and capture, but I won't walk Odin um, unless it's in the neighborhood only now. I understand that walks are very important for dogs. Mm -hmm. I would never tell you don't walk your dog, but 
there were times where I realized I cannot walk this dog because I am injured or I will get more injured or for this client, you're going to get a brain injury. If you continue to walk this dog, you have a yard. Let's figure out a different way to do this while we're working on loose skills. Um, to never say like, don't ever walk your dog. But yeah, I mean, you kind of, I think you sometimes need to take stock of what's going on, figure out the priorities and figure out, are you walking because you think you're supposed to, or are you walking because you have to, and, and how can we kind of reach your goals and your, and keep your safety at the same time? Cause there was a point where I was just unsafe. I couldn't walk out and I just couldn't do it. So. And is that, is there some, any feelings of there do you is there some embarrassment there that you can't handle your dog like yeah of course because I'm a dog trainer I, I know like, oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I should be able to tell him to do something and, and give him a cue and he should just listen to me like isn't that what we all envision I actually think it's funny because all the dog trainers I know I feel like we all have difficult dogs that we're like okay I don't want to use my dog as the demo dog because he's not going to be able to do it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's embarrassing sometimes when I get yanked across a soccer field because I gave my dog the 100 foot leash and he went farther than I thought and I get pulled. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, if you're not ready for that, man. And it'll rip your hands up too with the wrong oh, leash. Yeah. Like, and he's always on leash. Like my dog is one of those dogs where if he saw a deer, he would chase it for five miles, look around and be like, where's mom? He doesn't want to run away from me, but his brain is just so singular focused on certain things that he would just disappear and I would never find him. Well, this has been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I do want to plug your Instagram. It's Odin underscore pup. And I will tag that in everything. I think that's all I've got. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your friendly neighborhood dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein of Telltale Dog Training. Music has been provided by Jim Tiago of 7 Second Chance. Find more on iTunes and Spotify. Tune in every week for another episode where I'll be talking with uh, other people like Don. And thank you so much for joining me today, Don. And I wanted to ask you, is there any advice that you have for a dog owner who's maybe, uh, hitting against a wall in training? Maybe they've tried a bunch of things and nothing seems to be working for them. Yeah. First off, thank you so much for having us. And I think that's a really important question that you're asking. So I would say first focus on your mindset. So honor your dog. Where are they in the journey that you're currently on? And secondly, get a trainer, get one early. Don't try to do it on your own. I think finding a trainer is really important. So you should probably interview your trainer first. What's their training method? Are they positive reinforcement? Do they believe in prong collars? Do they believe in e-collars? How do you feel about it? Do they have clients that they're willing to share testimonials with that you can talk to personally, not just a written one, maybe even having a conversation is important. Can you see a video of the dog trainer actually training? Sometimes you get into a training class and you realize that you don't like their style. You don't like the way they communicate. You don't like how gruff they are or how sweet they are. It doesn't really matter. And can the trainer actually do the thing that you're trying to get your dog to do with your dog. I think those would be the most important. 